You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 725 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Thursday evening. We are in between games here, but there was enough news and a couple of mailbag questions that I wanted to get to, a couple of good ones, so I appreciate everybody that sent some stuff in over the last week or two when it comes to the mailbag. Those ended up being uh, NBA draft-centric, so the second half of the show will be draft-centered after the break. But until then, some injury updates and some um, newsy kind of stuff, and here we are on the podcast. Thank you for listening as always, and by the way, please click the subscribe button if you would not mind doing so. Okay, we'll dive in now. Um, the big quote-unquote news on Thursday was an update on Dwayne Dedman's status. He, of course, missed the game on Wednesday with an elbow issue, and the team announced that he had a non-surgical procedure on his right elbow. He's already been ruled out now officially for three more games. That means the total of four, uh, the Brooklyn game on Friday, the Portland game on Saturday, and the Memphis game on Saturday, uh, sorry, on Monday. Um, he'll be reevaluated re- on Monday, so uh, he's out for three games for sure. Um, the earliest possible return would be next Friday in Washington, D.C. against the Wizards. As always, and it's kind of a running joke now, but reevaluation does not mean return. And I always say that on the podcast, but it's still true. Um, I said in yesterday's podcast that Clint Capella is already ruled out for the next five games. So that means an, that means a bunch of Bruno Fernando and Damian Jones, as we saw a little bit on Wednesday. It was more Fernando than Jones, but still both those guys played. And of course, some John Collins at center. But a back-to-back coming, you would imagine that, you, that you're going to see plenty of the backup centers in this game, in those two games. And uh, I think Bruno might be starting um, for the most part during the stretch. I would hope at least in my mind, that it would be a good time to look at Bruno Fernando. I do think, obviously, long-term, at least in terms of next season, Capella and Deadman project to be the number one and two centers on the roster, barring a uh, free agency move or a trade or something like that. But as constructed, you would, you would guess that Capella and Deadman would be the, two, the, the top two centers. That means Bruno would ca- kind of be on the outside looking in. And while he, he was a second-round pick, so it wasn't like the investment was massive on Bruno Fernando, the Hawks thought enough of him to trade up and use this year's second-round pick to do it, and they still like him, as evidenced by what Travis Schneck was saying on the broadcast yesterday on, on during the game on Wednesday. So it's a good time if you want to spin it positively to look at Bruno Fernando and see how he looks during the stretch because um, it'll be tough to evaluate him after everybody gets healthy because I'm not sure he's going to play a whole lot. And also, he's just better than Damian Jones at this point, I think. And also, clearly, the Hawks signed him to a three-year deal. Talking talk about Bruno Fernando now, whereas Damian's going to be expiring this year, so there's uh, every right and every reason to look at Bruno Fernando over Damian Jones. We'll see if how much he, how much those two guys play. But um, in terms of a grand takeaway here, Deadman being out is not great for the Hawks in terms of winning games. Three very winnable games at home, uh, teams that the Hawks can certainly knock off if they play pretty well in their own building on Friday, Saturday, and Monday. But without Deadman, things gets things get a little bit more tiresome, a little bit more difficult for everybody involved. Obviously, we saw a lot of the Hawk, of this Hawks team with Fernando and Jones as the primary centers early on in the season when there was injuries to Alex Len, et cetera, and it, the results were not fantastic during that run. So the team is better with Debman on it and available to play than, than it is without him. And obviously with Capella, it will be even better. But Debman is not like a star, but he does change things for the Hawks in a positive fashion. We think we, are, we already kind of saw that in a small sample size here. So not great in terms of winnable, winnable stuff, but we'll see how much Debman's uh, elbow is affected moving forward, but I would guess, uh, obviously the three games are now official, but beyond that, he could be out um, you know, in, into the next weekend as well, so we'll keep an eye on that stuff and up to, uh, update you as uh, things come in. Um, the other 
fallouts from today in terms of updates and stuff like that. Um, there was some injury stuff with Kevin Herter. Uh, Herter is officially listed as probable for the game on Friday with left adductor pain, but Lloyd Pierce referenced the fact that he's been dealing with some groin issue um, over the last little bit. Not terribly surprising, in my opinion, given the way that he's been playing the last three games. It's been pretty rough. I talked about that on the yesterday's podcast if you missed it. Um, a deep dive into the, into the game on Wednesday that I recorded from State Farm Arena after the contest. But Herter was pretty bad in that game in the last three games overall. People have been focusing on his on his shooting over that stretch, which I'm not really worried about at all. I think, to put it kind of plainly, his shooting is the number one thing that I do not worry about with Kevin Herter. There's little things, I guess, that you would talk about with his aggressiveness as a three-point shooter. But um, since January 1st, it's 41% from three, and for the full season, 38% as his career figure as well. And if Herter's going to do that, I don't worry about his shooting really at all. The other parts of his game, uh, you could certainly question a little bit. The secondary creation has been a little bit um, sort of on and off at times. He's not been playing with, with a ton of physicality, et cetera, et cetera. I think he's not been playing with a ton of force just in general, and that can't happen long-term with him defensively. I think, at, I would say for the most part, in his career, he's been underrated by some people. I don't think he's good defensively right now, but I do think that there's this perception of him that he's just absolutely terrible that I don't agree with. But the last couple of games, it's been pretty bad, and he can't be that bad playing alongside Trae Young. He's going to have to be a average-ish defender for this to work long-term as a starting two-guard, so we'll see how that fares with Herter, but uh, he definitely needs to improve again in the line, you know, being more physical in general. But I do think, I, and I want to point this out now, he had his best month of his career in January, so I think there's a little bit too much panic at the moment, and that kind of transitioned into something that I wanted to say out loud. Got a couple questions about the young wings in general, and I, I don't I want to take one of them, but I'll kind of I'll lump them all in together here. And some questions about, I would say, during the last few weeks, uh, Reddish has obviously been good the last few weeks, but building up a lot of questions from early on in the season uh, on Reddish, and then Hunter had a couple of bad stretches, Hers had a couple of bad stretches, so uh, people were just in general kind of frustrated at different times with, the, with those three guys, and I understand that to a, a, lot, of, to a lot of extent because if you uh, dive in, I get it, but I would encourage everybody to not get too low or, 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 again, or too high on these guys until we kind of see where the real level is. It's just early on all of them, even Herder. I know it's year two, but it's still year two on a 21-year-old guy. Um, I'd go to this too, particularly in the middle of the season when you're paying really close attention. I know a lot of, a lot of Hawks fans are. If you're a listener in this podcast, you probably are a pretty diehard Hawks fan, and I appreciate that, um, but... You know, living and dying on every game with rookies and second-year guys, it's going to be challenging, and it's really kind of hard to keep things in perspective, but I would definitely encourage you to go ahead and try to do that. For example, Reddish was not, obviously never going to be as bad as he was in October and November, but there were still people out there that were calling him a bust and doing silly stuff like that, just kind of overreacting. I talked about how bad he was because he was that bad, but I also made sure to point out always on those podcasts in October and November that it was never going to be this bad, and he was a rookie, and he got a late start and missed the summer and all that stuff. Um, and I think, you know, I, you could also be guilty of uh, kind of overrating him now maybe. Um, there, I'm not saying everybody, everybody's doing that, but he's been playing very well now for a couple months. But it's one of those things where once he got it going, people assumed that that was going to keep going and keep improving linearly, and growth is not linear, something I talked about a lot on this podcast in the past, but that's something to keep in mind as well, is that Reddish is playing well right now, but early on in the season, it was the same thing. Um, kind of the same thing for Hunter. He's not had the same necessarily the same highs as Reddish has at times, but Hunter's had a few 20-point games. He's had a few explosive moments, and obviously, it's a little bit different for him. Honestly, he might even get more of it because he was a top-five pick, and at the time... If you're listening to this podcast for a long time, you probably know this and remember this, but I cautioned all summer long to not treat him like a top five pick as a rookie because he was not a traditional top five pick. He was not a, not a guy who was an elite talent. The Hawks 
overpaid to try to get him, and it was a fit thing, and he was a good prospect in that class, but in general, Hunter was probably never going to be a star, and people treated him as such, I think the hate's gone a little bit too far on him at a few different times right now, and, you know, there's been some times this season where he's been frustrating as well, I think his defense has not been as good as it should be so far, and that's been a disappointment to some degree, but I think in general, getting too low on him would be a mistake. And then you get into Herter, the, th- the third of the three guys, and I think... You know, it's a little bit different in year two, I grant you that. The sample size is bigger, but he's played 124 career games. That's basically, you know, less than one and a half seasons, or about one and a half seasons of of play, and there was some injury stuff with him a couple different times now. He's been pretty bad, obviously, the last few games, but I think he, again, he had the best month of his career in January, and that was not very long ago. And by the way, Kevin Herter is eight months younger than DeAndre Hunter, so it's just something to keep in mind there, that, that like guys like Trey Young and Kevin Herter, I know they're in year two, but they're very young. Trey has spoiled everybody, I think, by being just so good. But he's a pretty big, he's a pretty big exception to the rule on guys. And uh, you know, I think Herter's still probably ahead of schedule for where you would think a number 19 overall pick would be in year two. So keep that stuff in mind. I think part of the deal is analyzing these guys. And obviously I host a podcast <laughs> several times each week. So I get like diving in and going into the weeds as we kind of have to do on this podcast. But in general, I would caution against going too high or too low. I would encourage you sort of a level-headed approach on these guys, if possible, to evaluating young players. And obviously, you know, Trey and Collins are so far ahead of these guys. In general, those two guys are just leaps and bounds, and Trey's even leaps and bounds ahead of everybody at the moment. But um, the three the three wings, I don't really worry about. Obviously, there's a discussion and a healthy discussion to be had about how good they can be in the future and how much of the like, sort of locks that they all are to be in a rotation, to be, you know, guys for the core of the future. But at the moment, the core, the core is six guys for me at this moment. It's the five young guys that are always discussed than Clint Capella, and uh, that's that's still the case. I would just say uh, try to keep things in perspective. As I re- I saw a lot of the questions that I was getting were basically either super low on one of the wings, and it was kind of funny uh, to see how uh, sort of all three of them re- represented. And I think it's just a good time to go ahead and take a step back and just say like, look, I, there have been highs and there have been lows, and you know you can prefer and be higher higher on certain guys and lower on certain guys and value different skills. But I think they all bring th- different things to the table. Herter is the best offensive player at the moment, pretty clearly with his shooting. Reddish is the best defensive player at the moment. I think Hunter has that varied skill set where he can, he can play the three and the four, and obviously, you know, he's still a rookie, so lots of positives if you want to focus on them. If you want to be negative too, I get that. I promise I do, um, but just one, just just a word at the moment. It was sort of on my brain to respond in that fashion, and I wanted to sort of weigh in on the podcast. Okay, um, before we get to the break that's coming, I do want to quickly update you in advance of the game on Friday. Uh, Trey, Trey Young was homesick for practice on Thursday. Uh, speaking of Trey Young, who being the exception to the rule and being fantastic, he's obviously been ridiculously good. I tweeted about that a little bit on Thursday morning, just how how ludicrous it is to look at his numbers right now for the season. And uh, you can go back and look at the tweet for, for the specifics, but his offensive profile is just absolutely unbelievable. And I know I try to say it all the time, but I'll say it again now. He's just been an absolute revelation this year offensively. But anyway, he's, he's sick right now and listed as uh, actually listed as questionable again for Friday's game with the same flu-like symptoms that he was listed as questionable with on Friday. On, sorry, on Wednesday, he did of course play on Wednesday and played pretty well. Um, we'll see if he's able to go here. He's clearly still sick. Damian Jones also on the injury report with uh, flu-like symptoms as questionable. So if he can't go, the Hawks become very very shallow at center. Uh, you're looking at Vince Carter maybe playing some backup power forward and maybe some center in that spot. Obviously you still have Collins and Fernando, but um, one less body to deal with if you have Lloyd, if you have uh, Lloyd Pierce there. And of course Herder is uh, listed as probable. Uh, Bembry still out, Collins, I'm uh, not Collins, um, Capella still out, Levisier still out, and Devin out, of course. So uh, a short bench for the Hawks, getting back to their uh, roots from earlier in the season when they were, you know, basically, I, I know it's I know it's bad on the injury front when I have to uh, 
chop down the injury report to get it in one tweet. That's usually a pretty good indication that there's a lot of injuries going on, and that's the case for Friday's game. By the way, that game, still no point spread at the time of this recording, but um, the Hawks will be hosting the Nets. Uh, the Kyrie Irving lists next Nets in that game. I think Brooklyn will probably be, probably be a slight favorite given the Hawks injury report and the fact that Brooklyn has a better record and all that stuff, but I would say a winnable game, and we'll uh, come to you with a new podcast after that. Okay, we'll go into break now, and we'll come right back with some NBA draft talk to finish off this podcast. All right, and we're back with some uh, NBA draft talk. Not a ton going on in NBA draft circles. Obviously, there's games being played and all that stuff, and uh, we're going to dive in, I promise you. Uh, if you missed the last podcast with Jackson Frank last week, I definitely enjoyed that. It was about an hour-plus of conversation about the NBA draft, and Brian Schroeder before that will have plenty of draft talk. If you're a new listener to the podcast, this basically becomes an NBA draft show from about... I don't know, mid to late April, all the way to the draft with occasional Hawks talk. And of course, it's all going to be geared to the Hawks, but I dive deep into the draft as someone who covers the draft for Dime Magazine, as well as uh, just kind of want to be plugged in for Peachtree Hoops purposes and Lockdown Hawks purposes. So here we are to talk about the draft. Um, a couple people have been asking who I take number one in the draft right now. Not a full-pledged question that I'm answering right now, but I'm going, to go, I'm going to sort of dive in a little bit to it at the moment. Before I get into that, I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, but I'm going to have a big board like everybody else, but I think tiers are more important, frankly, especially in a class like this that's pretty flat and not great at the top. I think without a clear top guy, which this year does not have a clear top guy by any means, in my opinion, I think the uh, top tier is several players that are not necessarily normal top number one overall kind of pick guys. I think that would be important for the Hawks. And um, as a reminder, it is pretty unlikely that the Hawks will have number one pick this year. Not, not, Not impossible, but Atlanta barring a collapse of some sort, will not have the number one odds. And even if they did, they'd have a pretty low percentage of getting the number one pick. So um, this is a question that probably won't need to be answered, but I'm going to answer it anyway on this podcast. And it might, it might change, by the way. Everything this time of year on the NBA draft is fluid, for me at least. Um, there's still too much time to have too much change between injuries and play on the court and workouts and measurements and all that stuff. It is still fluid. I have tape to watch. I've seen all these guys play, but there's always more tape to watch. I've not seen every minute of every, of every game, so I'll be diving in, and my opinions will definitely shift, so don't hold me to anything I'm saying now. That's just kind of the rule at this point in time in February, but with all that said, uh, number one pick is going to be interesting, so I'll answer that stuff now as to who the Hawks would take if it was me. Um, We'll talk about the bigs more in a minute, but I wouldn't take the bigs, any of the bigs with the number one pick if I was the Hawks. That's not because of the situation with the roster. It's probably a small part, maybe a tiebreaker part. I do, I do think that Onyeka Okongwu from USC is perhaps the best player right now of anyone available in this class, but he's still a 6'9 center, and I think I pretty actively devalue the position of center right now because um, you know unless you're an absolutely elite prospect, I just don't love taking centers in the top five with the way the game is played right now. And the Hawks, of course, have... A good center already on the roster in Capella, plus Collins, etc. So, you know, tiebreaker-wise, if it, I would say this. If you valued Wiseman or Kongwu as number one pick in this draft, if you personally thought that, that they were a clear number one, you just take them anyway. I don't think that, which makes it easier for me to pass on these guys at the moment, but we'll come back to that in a little bit. But that's why I'm not talking about Wiseman and Kongwu in this conversation. So that leaves with a pretty small list for me. Um, at the moment, if, if I was the Hawks, this is a Hawks-only discussion, um, there are three guys I would consider at number one overall, and they're Anthony Edwards, Lamelo Ball, and maybe Killian Hayes. He's sort of the third of the three, but because uh, I have more, I, honestly, a lot of that's because I have more, I have more to watch on him. But uh, there you go on those three guys. Before I say anything else, I'd be trying to trade this pick if I was number one overall, and that's going to be for almost any team in this class, but especially for the Hawks. I think number one overall, I would be putting putting the for sale sign out. You don't have to trade it by any means, but I think in this draft where there's not a clear number one overall. 
if you have a team fall in love with a player that wants to come up and overpay and give you a king's ransom for that number one pick, I would do it because, by the way, so this is a small thing in some ways, but the number one pick now with the way the rookie scale contract works makes a lot of money. So if you don't think that number one guy is clearly the number one guy, you probably don't want it, particularly if you don't think it's going to be a superstar. And there are guys with star upside in this class, but if I had the number one pick as the Hawks or most teams, I would be trying to trade it. Just want to put that on the record right now. Um, we'll get into this now. I do think that it's conceivable that guys make a leaps, you know, leaps in the next month. You know, Edwards, for instance, is still playing basketball. A lot of these guys at the top of the draft this year are not playing basketball, and if they are, they're playing in Europe, like uh, like Hayes and Dunny Abdia. But um, Edwards is still playing. I don't think he's going to be going into the NCAA tournament unless he makes a huge run in the SEC tournament. But um, that's it's tough for me to put him number one overall. Um, it's just interesting to me. We'll come back to that in a second. Hayes is still playing, by the way, um, but I don't think he'll be a clear number one option. And I think Ball is intriguing, but he's not playing anymore right now, so it might. Uh, change, but I think it's tough to get him to a number, a clear number one overall, so those three guys are in the mix, but I would be surprised between now and June if I have the, a number one guy in their own tier. I wouldn't be, it's not impossible, but uh, and something can change, but I, I think based on what I see in this draft right now, there's not going to be an absolute dead bang clear number one for me. With all that said, trading now would be smart, I think, and we'll come back to that if we need to. Uh, to answer the question directly though, I would take Edwards at this moment if I was the Hawks. Uh, I don't love that, I'll be honest with you. I think on a different team, I would consider Ball even more, and I think Ball might be number one for me. He's cl- he's the closest to me. I think those guys are one-two on a big board, like a non-Hawks, just general NBA big board for me. It would be Ball or Edwards in some order at one-two. I'm going back and forth on those guys. I think he's ex- I think Ball is exceptionally talented, and the upside's very high, but as a sort of tiebreaker at the moment, because I think those guys are in the same tier for me as a tiebreaker, I think the fit will be a little bit tricky for Ball in Atlanta. His lack of shooting, he's a point guard, I think a, pretty clearly a point guard at the, at the NBA level, and his lack of shooting, playing with Trey Young, the fact that Lamelo needs the ball in his hands to be his best optimal self, and Trey does as well, I wouldn't cross him off, and I'm not crossing him off the list at any point. I think if you like, had the fourth pick, if you're the Hawks, and Ball was the best player available, you just take him. But... Um, I think I'm knocking him a little bit for that if I'm the Hawks because the fit is not great. Edwards necessarily isn't perfect either, but we'll come back to that in a second. Uh, Hayes is maybe a surprise inclusion. I think people are split on him a little bit. I, I know that most Hawks fans, and this is not a criticism, by the way, have not seen him play because he's playing in Europe and he's not playing college basketball, and most people don't turn. Even if, even if you do watch some highlight stuff, you want if you want to catch up on players um, for draft purposes, people don't usually watch that stuff unless they're paid to do it until May, or at least, or June. So Hayes, I will tell you now, is a good, good prospect. He's gotten a lot better this season. I like his feel for the game quite a bit. Basketball IQ-wise, he's a good athlete. He has good size, 6'5". I think he might be a point guard first at the NBA level, but he's also someone who has enough size and I think enough shooting to play with Trey if you had to do that. I think he'd be, he would be heavily in consideration for me if the Hawks drew like the fourth pick or the third pick. He would be right there in the mix for me, but not quite on the level of Edwards just now. Maybe in that tier, but I, I would go with Edwards over Hayes. And again, as I said, I said this before, but Edwards is not a traditional number one pick. I will say that again. Not a traditional number, number one overall pick, for instance. I would have him behind a couple of guys in the last two drafts um, at the same time in their careers. I think, obviously, he's not in the same class as where I had Zion last year or where I, where I had Luca the year before. I think, you know, even if you wanted to be generous to Edwards, he would still be behind guys. Even at the college level, he would have been behind guys like Trey Young, guys like Jaron Jackson, guys like... 
um, John Morant last year. Guys like, you know, I think I would have had him in a similar place as R.J. Barrett, who I didn't love last year in the draft, for instance. He would have been in that same kind of tier with, with guys like DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley. Like, he's not a, he's not a terrible prospect, but Edwards is not someone who is a dead-bang number one overall pick. And the last few years, there have been a lot of consensus number one picks who are elite talents. Going back to Ben Simmons, even, and, and Zion, and, of course, Luka, who didn't go number one but should have, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's just one of those things where, you know, I think Edwards is a good prospect, but in a normal draft, he'd be talked about going like fifth, not first. Um, again, for instance, I would have probably had him third last year, but that would have been a pretty tepid third because I did not like anybody at that spot beyond the top two last year. I think I finally ended up with like somewhere in the Jarrett Culver, RJ Barrett range at the end of, at the end of the process last year. But that tells you all you need to know about this class that I would tell, I, I would take Edwards at number one right now. Um, but that's not a huge endorsement at the moment. I think, you know, for to bring it home to Atlanta, Trey Young was a better prospect. And, you know, Trey was someone who was divisive, but probably a consensus, like, top six prospect in that class for the most part. And even then, I think he was still would have been ahead. I think everyone in that draft that went in the top six or seven, other than Mo Bamba, who I was not a fan of, I would have had ahead of Edwards. And that includes guys like Bagley, who haven't been great in the NBA so far. But, you know, I'd still, as a prospect, Bagley was probably a better player than Edwards. Positionally, Edwards is more interesting in a lot of ways, and and that's what it comes down to, frankly. Because, you know, we'll go into this now as we transition. The one question I'm actually going to answer, I know this is sort of a mailbag, but it's not even a mailbag. I promise you it is. It's just a bunch of different questions. This is the one I'm actually going to read out to you and answer in transition here. Uh, It comes from Mark, who who says, I saw you discussing the top of the draft and talking about players that the Hawks could take. My question is, are there any guys that are on the top of mock drafts that Atlanta can basically ignore? And um, question that was the question. And then he says, I remember last year there were a couple guys that you basically didn't talk about because of Trey Young. Uh, I've alluded to this before. I'll say it again a bunch of times, I'm sure. But in general, my general approach to the draft is that best player available is the right thing to do, particularly at the top of the draft um, in a majority of situations. Now, the exception to this, for the most part, is if you have an established star-level player at a position – and I think Trey Young qualifies for that pretty clearly. Um, and beyond that, Trey being a one-position player, obviously Trey Young is a point guard, and that's kind of what he is. He's not really position flexible. Whereas, like on the wing, if you had a superstar wing, th- that guy can usually play more than one position. If you have LeBron or you have you know whoever you want to say as your like Kawhi Leonard, or whoever you want to say as your number one wing player, that guy is a little bit more flexible. Whereas Trey Young is a point guard and a point guard and a point guard and a small point guard at that. So it's a little bit more difficult to build around that guy. But at the same time, it also makes your your choices um, easier in some respects because you you, can, you kind of can cross guys off at least to an extent. I mean, there's always a a point where you would take a guy. Like if I evaluated. I'll use Cole Anthony as an example right now. If I evaluated Cole Anthony, who I think is a point guard, who's not a great fit with Trey Young, if I had him as the best player in this draft, um, you know, if you're, if you're the Hawks number one, you just trade it. I think you kind of have to trade it if you thought that. But if for some reason there was a world in which trades were not allowed and you were picking second or third and the guy who was the best player by far on your board was a point guard, I guess you just take him. I wouldn't love that, and maybe you'd take him to trade him or whatever you want to do, but there is a point where everybody is on the board, but I think as a in, a in a more practical exercise, you know, last year, my example of this would have been, you know, obviously we talked about this a lot before the draft, but I pretty much, not definitively, but I pretty much realistically crossed off Kobe White and Darius Garland last year for the Hawks because I thought they were, you know, number one point guards. 
um, smaller point guards who were not going to be great defensive players. I couldn't imagine a world where those guys were playing with Trey Young on a full-time basis. So maybe not crossing off, but severely downgrading them as a result of that. And uh, because of that, they were not really in my discussion. And I think the Hawks kind of agreed with that at the end of the day. So the only definite thing that I would do there is point guard. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. But Young is the only guy on this that qualifies for me. And because, and because John Collins is position versatile, you, can, you can't cross guys off who are fours and fives because Collins can kind of play both. And that's very helpful for you. So for me, the only two guys that I would say I think you have to ding that are like consensus lottery picks are Cole Anthony and Nico Mannion. Anthony's out of UNC. Mannion's out of Arizona. I just can't imagine a scenario where the Hawks would take them with a, with a top eight or ten pick in this class just because of the, of, of the position thing. Um, op- opinions do differ on this, so it's just me talking, but I think both those guys are point guards. Neither has great size. They both need to have the ball in their hands. Defensively, it'd be pretty untenable to have either one of them with Trey Young on a full-time basis. Obviously, it would, be, it would be a great luxury to have a third guard type who could kind of be a back, backup point guard like that with the kind of upside that Cole Anthony has, but I don't think you want to use a premium asset like, like your own first-round pick here and probably at least what you hope to be your best first-round pick for quite some time, using that on a third guard option is not ideal for the Hawks. So I would not necessarily cross those guys off, but I would not knock them down quite a bit to answer the question. The other thing that people have been asking about that kind of applies to this is the center spot. Obviously, it gets a little bit interesting now with the Hawks investing so much in Clint Capella. I know they didn't trade a ton for him, but he's under contract for three years. Um, he's being paid quite a bit for those three years. Not, not a ridiculous amount, but certainly starter money. And, uh, you know, he's young enough to where he should be functional for all that, all that time. He's injured right now. He's still a good player. And you have Deadman for next year as well, which is a smaller consideration, but still he's on, he's on the books for you. I think center is a position, taking things full circle to where I was a few minutes ago on the podcast, where I don't love personally investing a top pick unless you're going to get an absolutely elite talent. I think both James Wiseman and, and Yakea Kongwu are very good prospects, and I think I would have them both as, like, top eight guys, top ten guys in this class. But... For the Hawks, it gets more interesting. We'll come back to that in a second. But I, I think Okongwu is a, is a substantially better basketball player right now than Wiseman, which I'm sure people that have been watching mock drafts and not much else would be surprised by that in some respects. But if you kind of take the temperature of people that are, that are in the draft evaluation space right now, I think if you're trying to do a mock draft of what the league thinks, Wiseman would be ahead of Okongwu. But if you just talk about what actual on-court stuff is right now, Okong was a better player. He's just not the, he's not, he doesn't have the measurables. So Wiseman, without going too deep here, is 7-1 with a 7-6 wingspan. There are people that think he has defensive player of the year upside. Um, if you thought that, I would understand taking him at the, at the top of the draft. Um, Okongwu is smaller. He's 6-9, but he's been incredibly productive. He's been really one of the only freshmen that's been as good as he was supposed to be or even better than he was supposed to be in the college level. He's just going to be a good NBA player. I'm not sure how good he's going to be, but he's going to be good. Um, with that said, I wouldn't use a top three or four pick on either one of them right now if I'm the Hawks. Part of that's fit, and part of that is that I would just I wouldn't have them that high. Akangwu is that is that good of a player, but fit-wise wouldn't be ideal for the Hawks. I think they'd have to be the only remaining player in a tier if you're the Hawks. So, for instance, as an example here, if the Hawks have the seventh pick in the draft, which is definitely a plausible outcome after the lottery, if the Hawks pick at seven and... The only and the only guy that, that they have left at, in their top remaining tier is Wiseman or Kongwu. You can and I think probably should take that guy at that point in time. Now, will Wiseman be there? Probably not. And Kongwu, um, we'll see. But again, I, I use a lot of ifs there. You have to have a that guy has to be available. 
B, you have to, if you're Travis Schlenk, you have to you have to evaluate that guy as the best player remaining in the in the draft by a considerable margin. Not in the same tier, but you have to have that guy in their own tier for me to take a center at that at that pick because of the fit stuff. Um, you have to keep those guys on the board, for instance. So if I have a top, if my top tier is six guys, or my second tier is six guys, and you know it's Kong was the only one left. I think you got. I think you have to take him, or you, or you have to trade the pick, or whatever you want to do. But you, you wouldn't necessarily just have to pass on him. I think it's not ideal, obviously, to use a top ten pick on a guy who probably won't start for you um, for a while, considering you have Capella on the roster. But the, he's a movable piece. We'll see what happens there. So I would not cross off the centers. I think realistically, it doesn't seem likely the Hawks will, Jake, will, will draft a center in the top ten, but it is not impossible by any means, and we'll talk more about that in the future. Um, I would be pretty surprised though if I was a actively endorsing Wiseman, because I think Wiseman's going to go in the top five. Um, based on what I've heard around the league, I'd be pretty surprised if he did not go in the top five. And if you're if you're the Hawks, based on where my board is, if the Hawks have a top five pick, it would not be Wiseman. So we'll come back to that if, if necessary, but I feel like it's way more likely that the Hawks would end up, end up with a Kongwu than Wiseman, but we'll see what happens. Um, overall, I think the only guys that I would even consider, like, again, cr- crossing off for Anthony and Mannion, even, even then... Those guys are not going to be as high for me in a big board setting, even like outside the Hawks. As some, I think Anthony is divisive. He's not been very good this year, but he still is a, is a high end prospect. I, I would still probably have him closer to ten than I would to five at this point in time. And Mannion's probably more of a late lottery guy for me. So even with that said, the Hawks won't be in position to drive either, drive either one of them. So realistically, if you look at the standings right now, the worst spot the Hawks can probably get to before the lottery is like number nine in the draft. Even if the Hawks finish with a a big-time hot streak, they're like seven games, eight games out of what would, be, what would be the 10th pick. So, you know, it would take a lot of jumping to get up to that level. So, realistically, going into the lottery, we'll see where Atlanta lands. It could be fourth, it could be seventh, it could be ninth. But they're going to be somewhere around there. You can hope to get lucky with the lottery, and then uh, we'll talk more about that stuff when it happens. But because I had this stuff on my mind and I had a lot of questions, I thought like it was a good time to go ahead and weigh in on a bunch of different topics on the NBA draft. I think uh, we'll see what happens, but uh, I'm interested in these guys. We'll have plenty more. We'll have most, mostly guests, but I'll have some solo shows because I'm doing the research as well. I don't want to fully rely on guests to convey the information. It is my podcast. I'd like to be, you guys know what I think every once in a while. So I like some prospects in this class. The top is not great in this class, but I do think the actual, unfortunately for the Hawks, they don't really have a second round, second first round pick at this point or a second rounder that's a, a top tier pick. But um, the middle and bottom of the first round isn't as bad as people think it is. The top is as bad as everybody thinks it is. But when you hear bad draft for me in this class, that refers to the top of the draft. And I think it is a bad top of the draft. But if you get into the middle and the bottom half of the first round, it's a pretty normal class. There are guys that I really like that you can get in the 17 range or the 12 range if you want to reach a little bit on a guy like Isaac Okoro if he's still there, etc. Uh, or Sadiq Bey. Guys, the guys that I really like in this class. Um, but we'll see. Plenty more draft talk to come, and hopefully that wasn't too long-winded. I know I went a lot longer than normal on a solo podcast, but hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And uh, again, we'll have a new podcast on Friday after the game against Brooklyn. Um, probably from the arena, there's a lot of concert stuff happening this weekend or event stuff happening in the arena this weekend, so I might be back at home after the game, but I will be in the building for Friday and Saturday, so stay tuned. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. We'll see everybody after the game on Friday.